Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Walls. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. So, Chris, we'll kick off this week like we do many others, uh, looking back on weekly claims data. So, uh, foreign initial weekly claims came in at, at about 1.3 million. Uh, so, that's about you know, flat over prior week's data. And uh, the pandemic unemployment assistance claims, they showed notable improvement from prior weeks. They were down about 11%. Um, we've seen continuing claims falling. They fell another 420,000. They're down to 17.3 million. Uh, so my question for you, you know, can you, can you add some historical context to the current data? Um, what to frame the rate of improvement and how investors should consider the current state of improvement in employment? Yeah, and, and I think adding some historical context to this is important because, you know, we were transitioned from a rate of change recovery is kind of the near-term data is flattened out for a host of reasons. Um, and so now we just are going to start to have to address the, the levels of economic activity. So, you know, you're right to continue to focus on continuous claims, and it is really positive to see that they are continuing to improve. Um, you know, and if we were to look at you know, a claim an improvement or continuing claims falling by 400,000 in the prior recession, you know, that would that would create a lot of positive momentum in the market. Um, for, but for a little historical context, I mean, we, we're still at 17.3 million. Um, the the prior peak in continuing claims was 6.6 million. So we're you know nearly two and a half times. Uh, larger than the previous peak. And the previous peak that we had in weekly initial claims was 700,000. And, you know, we're still running 1.3 million a week. And when we got to the 700,000, it kind of spikes to that level and then rolls over. And we're not, right? We're continuing to kind of maintain these elevated levels. And so, you know, that that's what I mean where from a historical standpoint, it's great to see improvement, but we're going to quickly run into the issue of the level of activity and the level of unemployment and not the rate of change in that. Um, and this has been a little bit nuanced in that we, we got the economic hit from an employment and activity standpoint, but not to income yet because of the transfer payments. Um, and so we're going to see some improvement. I expect to see, you know, decent job gains in July, just like we've had in prior months. Uh, and part of that is, as we've talked about, a recovery that's beginning on the industrial side has a very self-starting function to it. We've had some reopenings, and so that's pulled people back uh, in, into the labor pool. But the services side of the economy is going to be difficult to restart, and so I do think that's going to take some time as well. Um, and we can't ignore the fact that we need to see the PPP program extended. Otherwise, we're going to see a lot of, quote, furloughs uh, turn into permanent job losses uh, because they'll kind of pass the time horizon necessary to have the loans forgiven. So just from a historical perspective, we still have a lot of wood to chop, and it is not going to be easy to get uh, people back to work. Right, right. And, and speaking of getting, you know, getting people back to work, um, you know, the media continues to be dominated by the surging COVID-19 case growth. And uh, interestingly enough, that the market seems to be shrugging off the rising cases and, and the rollback of, of reopening in, in many states. So a question for you, you know, do you think the market is being complacent and is setting up for correction? 
you know, this was, so I, you know, I do think the market is, is setting up for a correction. In fact, I think it's already started um, earlier this week, uh, just with some of the volatility in the market. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but I, at the same time, I think that is more driven by changing liquidity conditions in the market and just market positioning. When I look at the impact of rising case growth and I look back, look at the rollback in activity, I really don't think that's going to be a material headwind to the recovery or the market. And again, because um, of, of just how low economic activity is and incremental cases are not going to close whole industries, it's not going to create a whole nother round of layoffs. It may delay and extend the recovery. But the other thing that's really not getting a lot of press, and this is what's kind of disappointing, is we're in the political season. And so the way we're addressing the crisis is now taking on political connotations. And, and I'm not referring to should you wear a mask or not wear a mask. That's, you know, that kind of stuff is just silly to discuss. You know, masks help and they work um, and people will make their own decisions accordingly. And, 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 and that's just going to happen. But whether we reopen schools or not, whether we roll back reopenings of restaurants or not, a lot of these decisions are going to be driven on the margin by political interest, and that's that's too bad. Um, but when you look at the actual cases, nature of the cases are changing. One, now that people are aware of who's vulnerable and who's not, those that are really vulnerable aren't getting as sick or get or the, the percentage of people that are presenting themselves at hospitals aren't, aren't the most vulnerable. So what we're, what the market and what the media is not talking about is yes, we're seeing a significant rise in cases and yes, regionally it can be significantly worse than other areas. And it, it really depends on the healthcare uh, capacity and capabilities in any given area. All of that being said, it's a younger population that's getting sick because they're more active and in the reopening, um, and they're you know a little less cautious. Um, we have much better treatments, meaning we learned a lot initially, so we we were able to treat patients better. And so what we're seeing certainly in our region, because Houston's gotten a lot of press. Um, it's a lot of misinformation where, you know, we're fortunate we have a big medical center and we have plenty of capacity, we have plenty of surge capacity, but the length of stay in the hospital has fallen in half. So when you see a, a, a spike in cases and it's not necessarily following up one-to-one with hospitalizations as it has in the past, it's because the length of stay has been cut in half. And so people are coming in with lower levels of acuity. We have more effective treatments. We're getting them in and out of the hospital. It's a younger population to so think young adults, teens, some, you know, with underlying conditions of, uh, you know, obesity or other comorbidities that, that just mean they need just a little bit more help than what they could get on their own. So I think it's a very different element of case growth. I certainly, and as we've talked about, we were going to see a spike, and we think that's going to continue, but we actually the data is starting to indicate there's a real chance in another week or so it's going to level off. And while the deaths will spike, certainly thereafter, the, the, the rate of death um, is much, much lower this go-around. So just 
uh, you know, the, the dangers are different, the treatments are better. So I don't think the market's complacent in the way it's dealing with uh, the the nuances of case growth rising and falling. It may be complacent in the way it's addressing liquidity, but we can discuss that at a later point. Right. Uh, so just expanding a little bit on on this uh, topic. So we've seen uh, you know, a, a, a tremendous market value on the new Moderna. Uh, they had some positive data out of their initial trials, and they're moving quickly into their phase three trials. And it seems yeah. like the market is placing you know, quite a bit of faith that the vaccine is going to be available in short order. So, you know, how, how do you, I guess the question here is, you know, how do you handicap the success of the vaccine in the near term? And then, you know, what would you believe would be the impact on the economy and the stock market, in the stock market, you know, should, should a more protracted timeline be necessary to produce a successful vaccine? Yeah. I Look, I actually think, one, there is no sector better at, at pumping news and pumping their stocks with selective releases of data than the biotech space. So anything you see come out of the biotech space, just take with a huge grain of salt, right? Uh, there's lots of diseases that are cured in labs, but, you know, we somehow never get the cure out into the public. So I, I really hope Moderna has a vaccine, and I really hope it's incredibly effective, um, and they had some positive data, but the nature of the data and the nature of what was released would lead you to believe that, eh, it could be interesting, but not necessarily. At the same time, what we need to acknowledge the fact that this country, as well as you know, developed uh, uh, countries in other areas of the world, have almost like the Manhattan Project to develop treatments and vaccines for this virus. So we certainly may have a great vaccine or great treatment in the near term. And if that happens, I think the market will be much higher because I think it will accelerate the recovery and we will get people back to work and we will have overstimulated with fiscal and monetary policy in that environment. However, I don't think that's what's priced into the market, and I don't think that's what the market's expectations are. I think the market is expecting some form of a vaccine at some point um, in the next uh, 12 months, potentially. But we got to remember that any vaccine we get, just given the nature of this virus, you know, may not be that effective. Um, and certainly... What it may turn into is a treatment rather than a vaccine. So the minute you have an onset of symptoms, you can take an injection, uh, and that may boost your own immune system's ability to uh, you know, fight and dampen down the symptoms. Uh, but at the end of the day, and this is why look, I, I don't think a vac- I don't think we need a vaccine for the economy to recover, nor do we need a vaccine. Uh, for the markets uh, to recover as well, or the areas that are still depressed. Um, and the reason is, we're going to learn to live with this virus one way or the other. Right? You know, as it stands right now, there's a, you know, a 99% survival rate. Um, there's plenty of things out there with uh, similar elements. This is just new. We need to get the information out to people so they can start making their own decisions, similar to what what happens in Sweden, and people will adjust their behavior accordingly, and it will have material impacts on the economy. Uh, But I don't think we need a vaccine to recover uh, by any stretch of the imagination. As the virus stands today, look, if it morphs into something else, 
um, that, you know, I, I may retract that statement. But given what we know today and what the nature is today, we may have a vaccine, we may not, but I don't think that's the most important element. Right, right, sure. So, um, you know, shifting gears a little bit here. So, you know, in one of our, our prior, you know, in several of our prior conversations, you, you mentioned uh, Bank and Bank of America. We've seen, you know, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, um, many others, they all reported their earnings this week. And you know, your concern coming into the week was that reserve builds would be larger in Q1 and likely larger than, larger than street expectations. Uh, and then, if I recall correctly, you know your concerns were they're were, they were validated as reserves uh, were significantly above expectation in prior quarters. So, you know, what what do you think are the implications of their results uh, over the last week? Yeah, I, look, I think they're pretty telling, and you know, there's certainly two potential elements here. One, if if you're a seasoned CFO and CEO of a public company. Um, you're certainly not going to lose an opportunity to build reserves so that you can release those reserves in future quarters and show better earnings speeds. So there's some of that going on. And, you know, everybody's going to get a pass for their 2020 earnings. Uh, you're not necessarily going to get that same leeway in 2021 and beyond. So if I was a bank CEO, CFO, I would aggressively book reserves in 2020. At the same time, because we're not seeing a V-shaped recovery, because there's real damage to um, uh, cash flows and to the ability of people to service debt and, you know, service commercial real estate loans and other elements, <clears throat> the losses are going to be sizable. And the longer this goes on, uh, the more permanent those losses are going to be. And this is a very different uh, recessionary, I guess, chain of events. And I think Jamie Dimon talked about this on his call, which is, look, we're not going to see the financial impact till later because we've had such a significant transfer in payments to those that lost their jobs. And we had forbearance in loans and rents and all of those things that unless, you know, there's just a miraculous V-shaped recovery soon, those losses are going to show up in future periods. Um, and as we've talked about, you know, they can show up in a handful of ways. So but I, I think what they're I think they're a clear warning across the bow that if we don't get things going or if Congress doesn't extend um, transfer payments uh, in the PPP program um, or and we don't reopen the economy and and you know deal with the surge in the virus, we're going to have serious problems in the financial sector. Um, and we're going to have serious problems uh, in commercial real estate and other areas. And, you know, we're not quite there for the all clear for the banks. Right. So, you know, from our perspective, what we're going to do is watch and see what Congress does this quarter. And they only have a couple of weeks left before they're going to miss an opportunity to continue the enhanced unemployment benefits and there'll be some interruptions. So they need to move pretty quickly. Otherwise, uh, you know, I expect the banks to uh, continue to struggle. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the, the last question and we'll continue just a little bit more in market specifics, but, you know, touching on the volatility that we've seen in the last week and you know, we've seen, you know, resurgence in, in momentum so stocks and declining volume, um, and rising volume on market down days versus up days, uh, small cap universe, right? I mean, 
the looking at what's done this week, right? It's bounced around. It was down 4%. It's up 4% in consecutive days. So, you know, what, what's your take here, right? You know, these market gyrations and, and what's your take on those? And then, you know, really, what's your, is this, you think this signaling some type of a shift in expectations? Um, or perhaps is this something about that has to do with liquidity? Yeah. I think there's two things going on. I think, and you know, as we've always said, liquidity drives assets. Um, and so rising, falling liquidity is really important. You know, something we haven't touched on as much is that volatility leaves liquidity, meaning rising volatility reduces liquidity. Falling volatility increases liquidity for an individual uh, security or for even an entire asset class. And, and what we've seen this week, and part of this is market positioning, and part of it is an acknowledgement, quite frankly, I think that the case data and the COVID data isn't as bad as it looks. And so the recovery is going to continue. And market participants had crowded into the COVID winners, right? The Amazons um, of, of the world and, and security such as that. So as they've crowded into the, quote, momentum trades, They've done so at the expense of the negative momentum positions, which were small cap regional banks, small caps in general, uh, retail, travel, leisure, um, all these other areas. And so what we've started to see is a spike in NASDAQ volatility. And that means people that are levered long momentum trade and are short negative momentum um, are are going to start to unwind those positions or are going to be forced to unwind those positions. I think that started this week. We saw a similar scenario in early June, and it only lasted a day or so. I think this one has a little more legs on it. One, we're more extended. Two, there's clearly a lot of momentum. You know, There's a lot of story stocks out there, uh, whether it's Tesla or some of these others. So momentum has been driving the market, and it would be healthy for the market to see, uh, you know, kind of these the, the narrowing that we've seen in performance, see it broaden out to other securities. The first step in that is and always will be, you know, covering your shorts, selling your longs, and de-risking. Um, and then we'll take a wait-and-see approach. And a lot of it also has been correlated with the dollar, meaning – you know, there's been a strong negative correlation with the dollar with this leadership. So should the dollar start to base here because we're seeing some withdrawals in the broader liquidity environment, a little less activity by the Fed, uh, that could pressure the dollar higher. So I think we're really positioned uh, in the market to see, um, you know, some, some shifts in leadership here and, and some of these extended securities are going to digest these gains and some of these laggards are going to catch up. Um, we'll see to what extent and to uh, what opportunities they present themselves. But the unique nature of this is that it means the large cap indices are likely to fall, uh, which is something we haven't seen. But again, that gets to how, you know, lopsided the weightings are in, in some of those indices. So, um, I do think yeah, we're, we're set up for a near-term correction here. There's not a lot of protection by market participants. There's a, uh, a low ownership of puts. So, um, yeah, we could see uh, some sector rotations, some reasonably violent here. Um, and it, it should present itself as an opportunity uh, if you can move some assets around tactically. Sure, sure. Let's, well, let's, let's hope so at the very least. So, uh, well, I think that's a good place to, to, to wrap up for the day. So thank you very much, Chris, for 
for the insight. And uh, you know, hopefully this week is ahead is maybe a little bit less eventful with the uh, with the ups and downs as we've seen the last week. But uh, we'll take them as they come, and we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Right. Thanks, Chris. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.